thing. So here's what I got. Matt and Bo both mentioned the tail end of the 21 days of dedication. This is our last Sunday. Anybody broken their fast yet? Any meat, eating? Just Daniel or the only one willing to admit? Yeah, there's a couple of y'all. Jeremy, our student pastor, broke his, a sausage biscuit from the racetrack. (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) Out of all the ways. (laughs) So, Andy's going ice skating this afternoon. Big day for Jeremy. So, we'll... We'll see if he can make it around the ring. Um, so I do hope it was helpful for you. I mean, the hope is not 21 days and we just kind of move on. The hope is it's a, a catapult, a springboard into the rest of the year. So the, the things that we've been looking at, pruning, that's the work of the Father to cut back everything in us that prevents us from bearing fruit, abiding or remaining in Jesus, staying connected to him over time. And we said there's a passive and an active element. The passive element is resting in the already love of God. You can only remain someplace that you already are. So if we're remaining in Jesus, it's because we're already there. Just don't move, stay there. That's the passive element. And that active element, those who love me obey my commands, Jesus says. And so we respond to Jesus through obedience. That's our expression of love to him. And then last week, we talked about fruit, the result or consequence of our activity, spiritual, mental, physical activity. And we said uh, sometimes that fruit uh, is a reflection or a revealer of our hearts. That's how Jesus uses that word in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What's in us comes out of us. So when we see those things, it's a reflection of what's in our heart. But in John, the passage we've been looking at, fruit's a result of relationship. As long as we're abiding in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will produce fruit and we bear it. We carry it. We don't make it. And we said that fruit can either be personal, the Holy Spirit working in us the character of Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, or it's more, we said ministry fruit, there's probably a better phrase for it, but this idea that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us to love, serve, and bless other people. So that's where we've been. Today, just a couple of thoughts as you transition out of these 21 days, out of this period of, of fasting into the rest of your year. Matthew, or excuse me, John 15, starting in verse 14. So these are Jesus' last few thoughts around this picture of vine and branches. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. When I think about my relationship with Jesus, there's lots of phrases that come to mind. I think of him as king, as Lord, as master, as shepherd, as teacher. I don't think of him as friend. I don't know if that's something that's top of mind, tip of the tongue for you, but it's not necessarily for me. And again, as we close out these 21 days, maybe a helpful dimension to add to your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, for Jesus to say to you, you're my friend. So when we hear that, we often, we're automatically going to think of our friend relationships, and that's not exactly the, 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 a, a perfect parallel with what Jesus is talking about. When we think of friendship, we tend to think of mutuality, reciprocity, equality. You know, we're, we're on the level with somebody. We're peers. Jesus is not our buddy. We're not, you're not meeting him for a drink to talk about the Braves game. That's not what he does. 
the idea of this invitation to friendship, it's real and it's genuine, but there's a different understanding of friendship uh, in the New Testament. So three things that we see really quickly here in John 15 about being a friend of Jesus. The first is that if you're my friend, then you will, uh, you obey. So there's this idea of friendship and obedience are tied together, which is not the case for us. When we think of friendship, again, we think of of a peer, someone who's on the same level as us, again, that idea of mutuality. We don't think of hierarchy. We don't think of an imbalance in authority. Once there's an imbalance in authority, we would say that's that's not friendship for us. That's parent-child, that's employer-employee, that's leader-follower. But friends and obedience, we don't think of those words in the same context. None of you say to your friends, you should obey me. If you did, they probably wouldn't be your friends anymore. That's not how our that's not how friendships work for us, but it is with Jesus. You're my friends if you obey me. The, the idea of obedience is a, is a key part of what it means to be a friend of Jesus. And remember, we said obedience is an expression of love. That's John 14, 12. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So we're friends if we love him, and the love is expressed through obedience. So it's, it's a legitimate and real and true use of that word, friend. It's just not necessarily our understanding of friend. There's that level of obedience. I, I don't know, have you ever been friends with somebody who was better than you? And you kind of wondered, why are you, like, why are you spending time with me? I'm not necessarily bringing anything to the table here. I don't know if you've ever had a relationship like that. I think most of us probably have at some point. And we wonder, like, what's the catch? Did you lose a bet? Why are you, why are we? But that's how it is with Jesus. He's better than us in every way. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's our savior. He's God. And it's a legitimate offer of friendship. He does say, you're my friends. But again, we're not, we're not peers with him. And so that idea of obedience is a part of it. So you can keep that in mind. The second thing you see, and, and this does resonate with us in terms of friendship, there's the sense of sharedness. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Servants don't know what their master's doing, and, and friends do. I've shared with you everything that I learned from my father. When we think of friends, a lot of times we think of shared experience, we think of shared interests, shared sense of humor, something, there's those places of commonality. That's what connects us to our friends. In Jesus, it's the same. He's saying to these 11 disciples, Judas is out of the picture. Y'all spent three years with me and 43 days, I'm going to ascend to heaven. We're not going to be physically present anymore. I'm not going to be eating meals with you anymore. You're still my friends if you obey me. And this is what I, I, I'm, I'm bringing you in. I'm letting you know what's going on. Servants are given tasks, chores, responsibilities, and they're expected to obey. They're not, they're not invited into the thoughts of the master. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's the big picture. Here's why. They're just expected to execute what's given to them. Friends are very different, Jesus says. Friends know what their master is thinking. And that's what Jesus said. I've shared everything that I learned from my father, everything he's talking about, the cross. He's talking about the plan of salvation. Jesus has been explaining to them. They don't understand, but he's been trying to explain to them, this is what it means for me to be the, for me to be the Messiah. From the moment that Peter confesses him as Christ, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus begins to say, and here's what that means. It means I'm going to suffer. It means I'm going to be betrayed. It means I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. Again, they don't get it at this point. They're going to get it in a few days. They don't get it now, but Jesus has shared. That's the everything that he's talking about. Uh, Peter, who's one of the 11, 
In 25 or 30 years, he writes a letter, 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, he says this mystery about the cross, that's something that people wanted to know about for centuries, for hundreds of years. The people of God, prophets who've talked about this stuff, who prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, who prophesied about his suffering and his rising again, they didn't know what they were talking about. They longed to look into this mystery, which Jesus revealed first to these 11 guys and then to the rest of us. That shared knowledge, that level of intimacy, we can know what's going on in the heart and the mind of the Father. Not everything, but we can know some things. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, and many of us choose to continue to live as servants. If I were to ask you, what's God doing in your heart right now? Could you answer? If I were to ask you, what's God wanting to do through you right now? Could you, could you answer? If I were to ask you, what is God doing in your community, however you define that right now? Can you answer? And don't, that's not a pass-fail. Don't feel bad about that. It's, for most of us, there's a level of access, and we just don't take advantage. Again, that there, yes, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there are things that, that in a sense, trust and faith uh, at its purest is, is obedience when we don't understand, when it's not clear. But I wonder how often we're walking in the dark or in the fog. It's just because we hadn't asked. Do you know you're a friend of Jesus? There are things that he desires to share with you about what he's doing in you, wants to do through you, and wants to do in your community. One of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody is to cooperate with what God is doing in their life. So ask. Those of you who are parents, do you have a clue what God is trying to do in the life of your kids? You know what you're trying to do, but do you know what he's trying to do? Think about that phrase from Acts, kicking against the goads. We do that sometimes. We're fighting God just because we haven't stepped back to say, "What? To, give me some insight here. And he wants to because he calls you a friend. And that's what being a friend is. Friends know their master's business. He's not going to tell you when Jesus is going to return. He's not going to tell you who's going to win the next election or whether Georgia's going to repeat. He's, that's not it. But you can say, God, what are, you, what are you trying to do in me? What do you want to do through me? How do you want to use me? What are you doing in this little slice of the world that I live in? And he will begin to give you some insight into that, which helps you cooperate. Over these next 11 months, as you think about abiding and the Father pruning you and bearing fruit, having a sense of what Jesus is doing, super, super Helpful. Last thing you see about friendship, it's just like with us. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And that's what Jesus says. I chose y'all. I chose you, and he did. There's a larger group of people who followed him, and he went up on a mountain and prayed and, come down, and comes down. He says, you 12. And according to Mark, he says, I want you to be with me. It's an invitation to deeper relationship. Jesus has chosen you, and his desire is for you to be his friend. And then he says, here's what I've chosen you for. Here's what I've appointed you to do. We're going to blow through these really quick. Three things. One, to bear fruit that will last. We talked about that last week, so we won't mention it again. Two, he says, I want you to pray prayers in my name, and the Father will answer those prayers. I, appoint, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit that will last. I chose you and appointed you to ask for anything in my name, and the Father will give it to you. Have you thought about that since last week we mentioned it? I was reading in Hebrews this week, really interesting verse, Hebrews 5, 7. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says he's, he's praying with tears and loud cries. And he's offering up prayers and petitions to the one who can save him from death. 
and his prayer is heard because of his reverent submission. We talked last week about this idea that we can ask for whatever we want and God will give it to us. And it's because we remain in Jesus and his word remains in us. So what we said is over time, our hearts are more and more and more aligned with Jesus's heart. So the things that we are asking are the very things that God wants us to do. And that's not a preacher trick where God, it's legitimate. It's not the erasing of who you are. It's the transformation of who you are and who I am more and more into the image of Jesus. When you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, what caught me was Jesus' prayer was heard. And that word heard is almost always means the prayer's answered in the New Testament. When you see that word, that's what it means. That God heard the prayer and gave the person whatever they're asking for. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus still died. So how was he heard? When his prayer was, Abba, Father, term of endearment, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Well, that wasn't, he didn't get that. That wasn't the prayer that was answered. That next line, not my will, but yours, that prayer was answered. And I think a a place for us in terms of growth in prayer is to be able to pray that, not from a place of resignation, but from a place of desire. When we tag on, not my will, but yours be done, we're usually doing it as a defense mechanism. God, you're not going to give me what I want, and so I'm going to go ahead and give you an out by saying not what I want, but what you want. That way I'm not super disappointed and you don't look that bad. That's what we're doing. It's, that's not where Jesus was. According to Luke, after Jesus has prayed this prayer, an angel has come to strengthen him, which you could say, well, maybe that was the answer to the prayer. But the very next thing is Jesus is still literally sweating blood while he's praying. So whatever the, I'm sure the angel was wonderful, but it didn't solve everything for him. He's still sweating blood, praying about this upcoming separation from the Father. It's not the physical suffering that he's trying to avoid. It's the separation from the Father, which he's never experienced when he becomes sin in place of us. The separation that we all deserve, he takes on himself. That's what he is in anguish about. But his his heart is so aligned with the heart of the Father that he can say, this is what I really, really want. But ultimately, what I really, really, really want is for your will to be done. And that's where most of us, we don't get it. We're not willing to say, this is what I really, really want. Take this cup from me. And what I, for me, the picture for us is moving again from resignation, well, your will be done. You're going to do it anyway. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to invest in this emotionally, for sure, because I don't want to be disappointed. But to say, this is what I really, really want. But over time, as we spend time with the Lord, our hearts are so formed and shaped by him, we begin to align ourselves with him that we can say from a place of genuine, reverent submission, that's godly fear, from this place of genuine, godly fear, genuinely acknowledging that God, our Father, is good and he's powerful that his ways are perfect, and to say to him, but what I really, really, really want is what you want. That's the deepest desire for me, not from a place of resignation at all. Yes, from a place of submission, and even more than that, from this recognition that what you want is ultimately the best thing. That may be something for you to think about over the next 11 months as you grow in prayer. Last thing Jesus says, love each other. What is love? Nobody knows. 
We don't. We get infatuation. It's romance. It's physical attraction. It's hormones. It's convenience. All kinds of things floating around out there for love. And so when we hear love each other, most of us are like, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to feel a certain way? What am I supposed to do in terms of loving other people? You know this passage from 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to scroll behind me on the screen. Too much for you to grab onto in one morning, but you can begin to grab onto some of those descriptions. This passage is always read at weddings, which is great. Husbands and wives need to love each other. 1 Corinthians 13 is in the middle of a passage about how to be the church. 12, 13, and 14, those are, it's about corporate worship. Here's how we treat one another. So for marriage is a subset of this broader set of how we treat one another as brothers and sisters. And it's a description of love, which I found to be super helpful. Rather than trying to figure out what does it look like for me to love fill in the blank, to begin to think through these different characteristics. If you're a memorizer of Scripture, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It's really easy to memorize. If you're not a memorizer, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Do it. I'm not a memorizer. But it will help you in prayer. Rather than saying, God, help me to love, whatever that means ephemerally and, you know, ambiguously, God, help me to be more patient. I've got a short fuse. I want to be long-suffering with fill-in-the-blank because they drive me crazy. God, help me to be more kind, not nice, but useful, helpful to somebody else. God, I don't want to be envious. I don't want to walk around wanting what everybody else has. It's not, I'm not going to be able to love them if I'm trying to take their stuff, metaphorically even. God, I don't want to be boastful. I don't want to be a windbag. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to be proud, arrogant. I don't want to be self-seeking. I want to look for the good of others and not for my own. I don't want to keep a record of wrongs. I don't want to, I want a clean slate every morning. Bring up, God, whoever offended me yesterday, whoever hurt me yesterday, whoever ticked me off, whoever disappointed me, whoever let me down, slate's clean. I'm not building up resentment towards anyone. I don't want to be touchy, irritable, prickly. That's what it means to be easily angered. God, I don't want to rejoice when other people fail, when other people fall, when other people sin. I don't want to take any delight in that. I want to rejoice when your kingdom is advanced. I want to rejoice when people ask for forgiveness and it's given, when people obey, when people demonstrate kindness, when they serve each other, where I see the character and the mission of Jesus embodied. I want to rejoice in those things. I want to to protect that idea is both over and under. I want love covers over a multitude of sins. God, I want to do that. I don't have to point out. I don't want to be hypercritical, pointing out every place somebody else dropped the ball. I want my love for them to cover over those sins. And and I also want to come underneath and bear up with others in the places where they're struggling. I want to hope and I want to trust, not in terms, I don't want to be gullible or naive, but I want to believe the best about other people. And when they actually aren't being the best, I want to hope that tomorrow they will be. Confident expectation of a better future. I want to persevere. I don't want to quit. I want to stick in here with people. I don't want to fail in terms of loving others. 
That to me, again, as we're walking out of this fast into the next 11 months, what, whatever fruit looks like, you can put it under that umbrella. It's gonna look like love. And so as we close this time, this morning we're gonna take communion. Greater love has no one this, than this. They lay down their life for their friends. We're reminded of that when we take communion. I want you thinking about a couple of things. What does it mean for me to be a friend of Jesus? Do you recognize and realize that if you're following him, you are? Have you ever, have you asked him, what do you want to do in me, through me, in the world that I live in? He wants to invite you in, pull back the curtain, let you know what's going on. So ask him. For some of us, we don't want to know because that makes us responsible. Ask him. Talking about bearing fruit, that was from last week, but whatever that fruit looks like, it, it will be love. And so maybe you want to begin to ask the Lord through that very specific description and grid of 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, where am I falling short? God, I, let's, in this area, help me to grow over the course of this year. 21 days is a great start. It's just a start. We radically overestimate what can be accomplished in a day, in a week, in a month, and we radically underestimate what can be done in a year and in two years and in five years. God can, the, the work that he can do in you over the course of the, the rest of this year, you won't recognize yourself if, you, if we are abiding, submitting, allowing him to prune us. And then that thing about prayer, that to me, there's, there's mystery there, there's tension, there's even some paradox, but I want us to grow, I want us to mature, and what does it mean to ask sincerely and deeply for the things that we want? Delight yourself in the Lord and give you the desires of your heart. And even more fundamentally than that, because of our trust and love and understanding of who God is, to say, but ultimately, what I want is what you want. Again, not from a place of resignation, from a place of recognition and desire. Just take one of those with you as you leave. If you're helping with communion, you can come forward. The way we'll take communion here, you'll get up a row at a time, come down the middle aisle, go back the side aisles. There's communion over there for you guys on the wing. Break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. Gluten-free bread up here, these little communion cups. If you feel more comfortable taking, using those, please do. We'll have ministry teams here in the corners. We'll pray with you about whatever you have going on. But I would love for uh, just that, the act of kind of saying, here's what I'm walking out of these 21 days with. And, and I wanted it to stick. Let those guys pray with you about that. You may just want to kneel. And if you do, we'll leave you alone. And again, just as an outward sign of this inward commitment to continue walking after what Jesus has put in your heart. Um, let's pray. Then y'all can take communion, receive prayer. Bo and Chad will lead us in worship and then they'll dismiss us in uh, maybe five or seven minutes or so. Y'all pray with me. Pick one of those three. Friend, fruit, prayer. Jesus, we're thankful that you loved us to the point of dying for us. We're thankful for all that you've made available to us because of your death and your resurrection. So God, as we close out these 21 days of 
fasting and dedication. We're thankful for the work you've done in us. We're thankful for the things you've shown us. But we don't want to walk out and leave that behind. That was, a, that was a great thing in January. I got to get on with my life. God, we pray for continued, continued growth and maturity. God, I pray for those men and women here in this room, those who are watching online who struggle with the idea of uh, being your friend, struggle with the idea of asking you, what are you doing? How do I cooperate? Would you begin to speak to them? Would you bring them behind the curtain? I pray that they would begin to have an under, insight and understanding into your purposes and your plans. God, for those of us, for all of us, the places where we struggle to love others, I pray that you would make this idea of love much more concrete in our hearts and our minds, that you would, uh, not just memorizing 1 Corinthians 13, but really writing it on our heart, that as we're engaging with people in the ebb and flow of life, we would find ourselves looking more and more like Jesus. And God, I pray for prayer that you would mature us in prayer. I pray that we would get to a place with you where we can be radically vulnerable and transparent with our own desires. And because of our understanding, because of our experience, because of our knowledge and of who you are as a good father, we, we, we could all say, not from a place of resignation, but recognition, not my will, but yours be done. I pray that the people in this room would see their prayers answered this year to a higher degree and at a, a greater clip than we've ever seen before because we're aligning ourselves more and more with you. So come and minister to us, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.